Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Prudential. Prudential believes life is filled with moments that test our courage. Their podcast, Everyday Bravery, celebrates those moments with stories to help you face your own challenges. Subscribe to Everyday Bravery now, wherever podcasts are available. This podcast was recorded live in the Grammy Museum Experience Prudential Center, the first and only experience of its kind on the East Coast, located at 165 Mulberry Street, Newark, New Jersey. For tickets to visit the museum, please visit www.grammymuseumexp.org. This is Leaders Create Leaders, and I'm your host, Gerard Adams. This is a podcast showcasing today's change makers who dedicate themselves to creating the best tomorrow possible with vision, with hustle, and showing up world class. They offer advice, they offer lessons, but most importantly, they offer you their mentorship because leaders create leaders, and leaders are the ones that are impacting our world. Every grand endeavor began as a creative thought and took not only time, but work to bring into the world. Anyone can dream, but it takes a truly creative soul and entrepreneur to realize a dream from something within our heads into a real tangible thing we can touch, weigh, and cherish. Who can even breathe the word trendsetter without thinking of natural? Natural has mastered the craft of making art his business. His talent and work are sought after by celebrities such as Jay-Z, LeBron James, Rihanna, and Swiss Beach, just to name a few. Natural also collaborates with iconic sneaker brands such as Nike and Puma to design special edition sneaker lines. Natural is considerate about how he uses his platform and his art to discuss the topics happening in the world today. When we got him to the stage, we dug deep into the dichotomy that exists within that, the meeting point between his iconic art style and worldfulness with the most important question, who is natural? First, I'm a fiance to my fiance. Uh, I'm a father to my daughter, a son to my parents, um, and a friend to all my friends. And recently, I've, I've gotten comfortable with wearing the title of creative steward to my community mm. and like-minded individuals around the world. Um, and that's a big, big title to kind of say because we're all students and we're all learning. And I'm probably at the most humblest moment in my life. But I do take that leadership role, you know, pretty seriously. Wow. Talk to me about what it was like growing up in Prince George's County, Maryland. Yeah. So, um... I grew up on the east side of D.C., born and raised in a county called Prince George's County. It is home to the most concentrated population of affluent black Americans. It's an amazing place. It brought me up in a, in a particular way. I guess it gave me a lot of soul. It gave me a lot of purpose. It gave me a lot of um, rhythm and unique vision for things. Um, if anybody's familiar with D.C., y'all know go-go music. You know, that's a big, big part of our culture. You know, it's like a, a bunch of guys, maybe like 13 guys playing drums. <laughs> and then they'll, they'll shout out their neighborhoods and everything. And it's all live music. It's all a moment. And creating moments is my new forte, I, I believe. 
What's interesting is um, your career actually started within the fashion industry. You worked with a lot of great designers. Talk to me about what it was like to kind of start there and what were some of the important lessons that you learned? Yeah, so I have about like maybe 11 years in the fashion industry. Lived in Brooklyn at the time, went to Pratt Institute, uh, got the first internship I possibly could at a brand called Triple Five Soul. And then from there, I moved on pretty quickly to uh, Rockaware. And it was around the time I'm dating myself, but uh, it was around the time where Rockaware was pretty Rockaware's still around. It was pretty hot back then, you know, like, it's the rock, you know. It was around the time where Dame kind of relinquished the brand to Jay-Z. And so I got to work with both parties in that tumultuous time around the whole group. And I learned a lot from Dame, from Jay, you know, directly and through that process. Not to insult any other of my older brothers and sisters that have taught me everything in that industry, but one of the most remarkable experiences was when Jay got the brand. He came in and individually uh, greeted every single person in the building. Wow. And um, he knew that he didn't know anything about the industry. So he sat and shadowed for like about six months. And so you can imagine like having Jay-Z shadow you for like, you know, six months or whatever, the things that you'll learn in the elevator, in the break room, in the conference room, and the exchange was just tremendous. And I learned so much about patience, so much about observation, and how your knowledge from everywhere can apply to the thing that you're focused on at the time. And so, I mean, we're just, we were just talking about jeans and t-shirts, but we went through all these experiences that he had before the music industry, after the music industry, uh, his trips to Africa and all around the world with uh, Beyonce and what they've learned together. And it was my job to kind of take this type of knowledge and these inspirational cues and then boil them down into like a collection. So yeah, I learned a lot. <laughs> I can only imagine. I met Jay-Z yeah. one time. Yeah, super cool, right? He grabbed my wrist. I said, what's up to him? He grabbed my wrist and he's like, I like that bracelet, man. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he's like that. He used to always like feel, hand feel things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting when you have that much money and power. Because he was like, you know, like, oh, what type of jeans are those? And then, you know, tomorrow he's wearing those jeans. Or like, what type of hat is that? He's wearing that hat, you know? It's like, oh, man, crazy. He has like the whole collection. But yeah, like he has a unique type of nature to him, and that's what I'm trying to learn and emulate, is the fact that he's humble, but in his own way. Like, he'll never come down to where we are. He'll bring everybody in the room up, and that's like a really, really unique trait. You know, when you walk into a room, and you can bring and give value and make everybody feel good and celebratory like it's a, like it's a moment. What's interesting about your career is I think you've merged the, you know, the, the fine art world with hip hop. Mm-hmm. So what was the experience that led you to believe that this could be done? So nobody Googled this at all, but <laughs> like I spent my time trying to be a rapper for a long time. And while I was an art student, exploring all sorts of creative ventures, And that started off because of my father. My father was a musician growing up. And he turned our living room into a studio. 
And so every time that I would have a chance, I would go into, you know, his equipment and stuff. And I would thumb through the records and I would try to like play the records. And I mean, I'm talking about like I was maybe a toddler. And so I would like take toothpicks to the record or like take certain things like my mom's sewing needles to the records and stuff and like totally mess them up. But just like <laughs> emulating like, you know, what, what, I, what, I, what I thought I saw. But my first visual memories are these albums, the cameo albums, Ohio Players, uh, Commodores, um, the real highly illustrated Earth, Wind & Fire, like those types of illustrations. And I always thought that the person that you heard on the record was the person that made that art. And that defined my whole life. And so like from the age of five, six, something like that, I had this it was my truth. It was like kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to be the guy that makes the record and designs the album. And this is how the album's going to look. And I walked that path for a long time, all the way up until maybe 2012, maybe, I think. Wow. And then I found out, like, you know, what was behind the curtain in, uh, in the music industry. And I was just like, oh, OK, all right, cool. Like, let me just try to do this art thing. But yeah, the worlds in my mind don't they're not separated by a category like music is artful and Art is very musical. And those two things, and those crowds and industries, they all play in together. And you have a very unique style. So I know a lot of artists out there, you know, they struggle with like figuring out that signature. And you, you know, there's, there's graffiti artists, and you have people that are just doing art on sneakers. There's, yeah. there's just so many different. I, I interviewed Chantel Martin in this last season, right. you know, and she talked about how just drawing, she used to draw under her bed on curtains. You know, her family was just like, why are you drawing stick figures everywhere? <laughs> but it became her signature, and now right. she's one of the most sought after. You have this unique style through digital art, which many, many years ago wasn't even looked at as like fine art. How did you find that signature type of artistic? Yeah. Stop. So in art school, me and my friends would often like fantasize about finding our own like style because we thought that like, you know, that's how you gain an identity and it'd be cool for, you know, people to come to you and be like, I want that style. And, you know, through exercises and through personal time, I tried to find that and like, you know, for the life of me, tried to find it. And I tried on everybody else's style and versions of that and it never really came until I, st I stopped looking. It's usually the thing that finds you or creeps up, you know, it becomes your thing. And um, I remember like with this style, it's just mainly primarily made up of triangles. Like I don't look at it like it's something that, oh, I got to make a, a million triangles to make this one image. It's a mark. And um, every artist is known for their mark. They have a, a particular brushstroke or, you know, See, gesture. You know it's there. Yeah. And like this just made sense for me. You know, it, was, it started off 15 minutes between emails between, you know, these clients that I would juggle as a freelancer. And um, I was studying the ideals of uh, minimalism because I'm a maximalist. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and this one client wanted some, something minimal. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do these warm ups. I got to, you know, try to find out what they really want. So I spent these 15 minutes in between these emails or whatever, uh, trying to make the least moves possible, define something visually with the least moves possible. And um, besides a circle, you know, a triangle has three sides. Other than that, it's just a line. And so um, I found, you know, that exercise and I was like, oh, I just kept it going. 
And after a while, like that 15 minutes turned to 30, 30 turned to an hour and an hour, like days. And then, you know, um, I figured out how to make it my 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 reality. I love where you have taken it. It's, it's so much. I mean, I don't, you guys, I can't wait for you to see some of that outside and, and what you probably have coming because you have a, a show that you're working on that you're talking about how you want to make it an experience. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I want to talk about, you know, in a recent interview, um, you mentioned that the worst thing you can do is allow trends, people, and even your heroes to dictate who you are and what you bring to the table. What experience led to that realization? Mm. I wish I could remember the interview in the mind space that I was in and that. I mean, I, I think that's true. We give so much value and confidence and weight to our heroes, our confidants, our, you know, just the people in our lives that we kind of go to for a compass. And it boils down to this, right? I think it's extremely important as a visual artist to have the most confidence in yourself, right? And you can't leave that up to somebody else. You can't leave your confidence in yourself in somebody else's hands, no matter who they are. Could be your mom, could be your dad, sister, lover, teacher, hero, idol. They're seeing you from their perspective. And you can never live for their expectations because they expect you to be what they see. You'll never, like, ever be able to, to, to be that. You can only be what you can control in front of you. And it's very important. The one thing that separates me from being up here on this stage, the only difference from me to a, an aspiring artist is a creative license. And that's only issued by yourself. Like, there's no difference. I have more opportunities, I have more options, I have more eyes on me because I gave myself the creative license, because I gave myself that chance, you know? Yeah. And like, that's the thing that holds us back as emerging artists, as aspiring artists, is the fact that, oh, it's not good enough. Oh, I can't, I can't show this. Oh, it's not ready yet. Oh, it's not this. But as soon as you take that same artwork and you give it your all, Confidence-wise, everything. And I'm not saying be full of it. I mean, be grounded and realistic in your gestures. But at the same time, it's like, I'm worth it, right? Somebody in this, how many, how many artists are in this room? Wow, okay, all right. Somebody in this room, by, by sheer numbers, somebody in this room, 50 years from now, is going to be selling $100 million art pieces. Somebody. So, hey! yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably him. Right. I like that. Um, I like that. But imagine that. Imagine if you knew, if you knew in 50 years that your piece of art that you're working on right now in your studio is going to be worth $100 million. How much would you give it? How much would you feel about it? How would you treat that? What type of pedestal would you put that on? And so when you finally discover that about yourself and, un and understand that, the weight, you know, and the gravity and the seriousness that you give your work. That's the difference between somebody who's professional and somebody who's just learning how to, to take those steps. Natural's history is filled with success. As we heard, his creative process and his trajectory is amazing. To be in a room filled with dynamic entrepreneurs, creatives, 
especially the ones that are considered to be the face of generational wealth like Jay-Z, it's hard not to be impressed with this ambition. But with success comes negativity, comes criticism. So we asked them, what do you do? How do you confront criticism and negativity? I avoid it like the plague, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so that's the light, right? The light that everybody wants is, you know, I want more followers, I want more eyes, I want more fans, I want more of these things. And it's tough to deal with. I've dealt with it with my family, with my friends over the last uh, five years, ever since like things kind of started falling my way. You have to take the people that you have given the right to criticize you, your friends, your family, the people that you respect their opinion, let them in and then shut the door. You know, like everybody's going to have an opinion. Everything is not for everybody. It's just a given. And it comes with the territory to be an influencer. Right. You have to be able to influence. And if you influence, they're going to start looking at like you, acting like you, doing the things that you do. And they're not competition. And it's not like whatever. And they might even start hating what you do or start hate mongering and like get a mass of people to start hating you, you know, or like criticizing you and doing things, you know. Um, you can't control any of that. And it's not part of your narrative. There's no piece in a museum that comes with a, a footnote on the bottom and being like, he did this to look cool because, you know, all the haters were saying that, it, that he should do this and blah, blah. And it, it's, it's not there. All that matters is the, the footprint that you leave behind, not what they said about you. And if you look at anybody in those history books, anybody in those museums, they had their share of haters. You know what I'm saying? And so... You got to learn to live with it. You got to learn to have thick skin and have really, really good people to cry on, you know, <laughs> and vent, you know, like uh, like my partner over there, uh, Greg, he's, oh man, he's heard my fair share of just like, I want to clap back, you know, like <laughs> I saw this hated post, you know, I'm going to clap back right now. And it's just like, take that energy and put it back. Yeah, in it's not worth it, man. You know, when it gets you out of position. Natural is a successful artist. There's no question. He's cultivated his background in creativity and dedicated himself to the lifestyle that comes with it. However, the expectation of the, quote, starving artist always hangs over any creator. There's always an allure to packing up your supplies and joining the corporate world. So we asked Natural, how has he been impacted by this constant struggle between artist and survivor that breaks so many other people? I jumped out the corporate window a bunch of times and it didn't work. I fell on my face twice, three times until I, I finally quit my last job and I was fed up. I didn't have the perspective of walking into this uh, entrepreneurship opportunity as, man, I'm going to be broke for like, you know, however long until I get my thing straight. Right. It was freedom. It was like, OK, if I get a job. I know how much I can make a year. That's a ceiling. But if I step out and do my own thing, I could make as much money as I want. And being broke is temporary. It's not a mind state, you know? So like, when you look at your path, you can figure out like, all right, I, I can make it this far with what I have. And, you know, stop buying clothes, stop buying whatever, stop seeing friends, stop, you know what I'm saying? To live like a really, really tight financial life until you reach that part where, you know, like you could, you could get it. It's a temporary thing. Mm. 
We talked about the art and how you want to leverage your platform for creating generational wealth and ending, ending that side of poverty. Yeah. Um, to me, financial planning is like building freedom for myself. Mm -hmm. Financial success allows me the freedom to make choices based on my passions and not out of economic necessity. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for artists around the financial wellness of their career, especially when they aren't making much money? Value your work, value your time. Have it like a real plan involved. Plans aren't gonna work, but at least you're prepared, mentally prepared for certain things. And be serious about what you're doing. Like, if you really were looking at your options of, and only had a few dollars to spend on certain things, where is that gonna affect what you're doing in a way where that check starts to come sooner? And really just kind of shelter yourself from, you know, the thoughts that kind of come into play. Because when you don't have money and you're up against the rope and you have bills and you have these things that we all have, it starts to affect you in ways that manifest into your work, that manifest into, and we could all breathe with it, right? And create from it, but it doesn't make you. And because somebody doesn't want to pay a certain amount for what you think you're worth, it doesn't define your worth. You know, I was saying, it was like, if you knew you were going to be this multi-million dollar artist, you would act like it. If I told you for real, like, hey, like I was in the future, you know, and then you're super rich, you're going to start acting like it, you know, like, and that's part of it. And I think another part of it is, you know, financial and economic education or whatever coming from us. We have to take that load in our community. There hasn't been hundreds and hundreds of years of wealth in our story. So we have to be able to reach back and give that to our kids and give that to their kids and give that to their kids and start asking ourselves, like, what can we do today to affect them? Like, I, I really don't care. Like, I have a 12 year old daughter. I don't care if I see a yacht in my life. I would like to. It would be awesome, you know, but I want her and her kids to enjoy that lifestyle that they want. I want to leave behind things in my like that I can create to, to create their options and, and broaden those types of things. As an artist, Natural is in charge of attracting his own clientele. One part of the creation is commission. Since we're currently in the prime of the digital age, the image of how artists use entrepreneurship and conduct themselves as vendors has changed dramatically. Naturel, a frequent user of social media, got to speak to us about how he incorporates this technology into his art form and practice. The most amazing things have happened to me over the last like five, six years. And I've been blessed enough to meet and, and befriend and, and be supported by a lot of important public figures and work with a lot of corporations and brands that are doing pretty well. I thought it was magic at first. Like, I thought it was just like things just falling out the sky and it was my time and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, whoa, this is crazy. Nike's calling and LeBron wants to meet me. I like the Puma pants. I, gotta, I can't, I'm not Oh, lie. thank you, man. Thank you. Those are part of his collab. Yeah, Puma.com right now, you know. <laughs> it was really like when I went back to kind of reverse engineer what happened over, you know, the first year at least. I attracted those things. You know, there wasn't a time where like I wasn't putting stuff out at that time. I was, it was every day 
putting content out, putting art out. Social media, uh, it changed my life, you know? Like, it was weird. It was like one of my friends, this is back when like Instagram was still on, uh, only available for like iPhones. And um, my friends were like talking about Instagram. And I was like, what is this Instagram you're talking about? Because I'm not the most uh, tech savvy person at all. I know what I know as it. You know, my friends were like, oh, you just got to post some stuff up on Instagram. And I'm like, what is that? And so they showed me and they were like, it's a, it's a really good place for you to show your work to people. And I was like, OK, cool. And I did that. You know, like I, I'm not comfortable with like, you know, showing my life to folks. I'm just real shy in that regard. But um, it became a real great visual place to put things out. And I started to do it. And the people that I never thought I would hold a conversation with were calling my phone, you know, like the people that I never thought would show me love or be interested in work or do. I mean, and I'm not talking to celebrities. I'm talking about like my colleagues. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was I was that real low on my, my self-esteem and just being like, wow, people actually like what I do, you know, love what I do. Thank you. And it's amazing. Like as long as you do it with the with the with good intentions and a loving heart and 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 breathe that type of thing um you'll bring it back and it'll come back in the, in that way it's not a race for you know popularity it's not like to keep up with the joneses or anything i mean there's a lot of that out there but you can find your tribe from your phone you couldn't you can't say that like you know 20 years ago and so i'm blessed to have had this moment and creating this moment to find more like-minded people. I love it. And uh, I just want to say you're so inspiring. You're using it to create other leaders. You're going in back into the youth, using your yeah. art and really going out there and, you know, teaching the financial economic side of the art game. And really, we talked about this earlier of like, yeah. we're the new ancestors, you know, we yeah, need yeah. to really set, you know, and um, be the role models of the future. Mm -hmm. um, and you're doing just that. It's unbelievable what you're doing. I can't wait to see that $100 million painting in, oh, in, in all these years. But uh, I, we have your back, and I can't wait to, to continue to uh, support your work, man. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on Leaders. Thank Street you, Leaders. guys. I appreciate it. Well, leaders, that's our show. Again, special thanks to our sponsors at Prudential and the Grammy Museum Experience Prudential Center for their wonderful help in bringing the Leaders Create Leaders event series and podcast to life. Make sure you go to lclnork.com. That's lclnork.com for more details on where you can find this episode and many more exciting things to come, especially some of the future episodes that are about to drop. This has been your host, Gerard Adams, representing Leaders Create Leaders. We'll see you next time. Sponsored by the Prudential Insurance Company of America, Newark, New Jersey.